Blog Talk Radio. What is up? We are back with another edition of the Steeler Nation podcast. This is now episode eight brought to you by SteelerNation.com. I am your host, Tyler Candelaria, and today we'll be bringing on Steelers beat reporter for PenLive.com, Jacob Klinger. We'll have him on. We'll discuss the recap of the Steelers' 21-18 to victory over the Cleveland Browns yesterday. We'll explain the ups, the downs, how the offense looked, the defense looked, whose players, who, what players rose, and what players fell. So before we explain that, we're going to recap all the rest of the games that were yesterday before we get Jacob on the line and before we talk Steelers. So in the division, it was a 20 to nothing pretty much beating for the Ravens over Cincinnati Bengals as Andy Dalton threw 170 yards and four interceptions. So the Ravens' defense did look good, but there's a little mix of the Ravens' defense looking good and the Bengals just looking bad. 20 to nothing, the Ravens beat the Bengals. And then around the rest of the league, the Buffalo Bills beat the New York Jets 21 to 12. And the Oakland beat the Tennessee Titans 26 to 16. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the Washington Redskins 30 to. The Carolina Panthers beat the San Francisco, or San Francisco 49ers 23 to 3. The Cowboys last night beat the Giants 19 to 3, who really struggled. struggled without Odell Beckham. It looked like their offense was very, very out of sync. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars defeated the Texans 29-7. to Detroit Lions beat the Cardinals 35-23. to The Falcons beat the Bears 23-17. to The Colts got pretty much demolished. Scott Tolzien struggled a lot for them, and they even had to bring in Jacoby Brissett to play quarterback, who they traded for Philip Dorsett for. So he had even had to come in to play quarterback and they got absolutely demolished, 46-9 to the L.A. Rams. The Green Bay Packers held the Seahawks without a touchdown. Seahawks were one of the teams last year with three games without a touchdown. They were one of the top teams in the NFL. The Packers beat the Seahawks 17-9. Tonight's game's at 7-10 p.m. Eastern time. It will be the New Orleans Saints using the Minnesota Vikings, who are the Steelers' next opponent in Heinz Field next weekend. And then at 10.20 p.m. Eastern time, the L.A. Chargers are making their debut as the L.A. Chargers as they visit the Denver Broncos. So just in, in just a couple minutes, we'll bring on Jacob Klinger, talk about Steelers' ups and downs, and like we said, who rose and fell. Stefan Tewitt, if we just got good news on him, is he will be just week to week instead of the tear. So they expected a tear last night. Adam Schefter tweeted that, that the Steelers feared that to it would have a tear in the bicep but the results came back I mean not great results because he's still going to be on the fence probably for a few weeks hopefully it's not too long and we got a good replacement in Tyson Alulu so we'll see how he can fill in for to it but earlier today Cameron Hayward actually tweeted out fake news explaining that he he because he explained today the post-gazette that he didn't believe Tua's injury was going to be for the whole season. And then we got back today 
from Ian Rappaport that the Steelers did find out that Tua is only week to week. And that's good news for Pittsburgh. He just got his contract extension the day before the first game of the season. Sixty mil- five years, $61 million he got an extension, which was right before the injury, which honestly, that, that that's going to really suck. But I think the Steelers have the good – because they could honestly, they could move T.J. Watt, honestly, to the end. I don't think they will. I think they'll stick with Alu-Alu. But we'll just have to see how it goes the next few weeks. Without to it, he's one of our better defensive ends. And he is a star defensive end, so we would like to have him for the rest of the season. But, of course, we have to wait a few weeks without him. But Cameron Hayward came back first game after missing all of last season. He really shined for Pittsburgh along with T.J. Watt in his debut. He had an absolutely star-studded game with seven tackles, two sacks, and an interception in his debut. And he also was my AFC Defensive Rookie of the Year, and I will keep sticking by that. As T.J. Watt really impressed a lot of fans yesterday in Cleveland. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll bring on Jacob Klinger, beat reporter for PennLive.com, and we'll be back in two minutes. When the night call, yeah, I call all my soldiers just to come and brawl, yeah. Soldiers, when the night call, yeah, I call all my soldiers just to come and brawl, yeah. When the night call, we can link up, we can all ball. My legs dancing off, three, two, one, then we taking off. If it came to party, pour champagne, we can drink Bacardi. And I'm about to go here, rave in the crowd, my confess. We are now back on the Steeler Nation podcast after that quick break. And on the line now, we have Jacob Klinger, beat reporter, beat Steelers beat reporter for PennLive.com. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm pretty well. How are you? I'm doing great, especially after a win. It may not have been the best win. It may have been a little bit of an ugly win, but you always got to feel good after a win. I'm sure my comma does, yeah. <laughs> of course he does. But anyway... So the Steelers, they started off when they started off with that blocked punt for a touchdown. A lot of fans, even us, did really think that the Steelers, I honestly thought there was going to be a, a sign of a lot of things to come and be a big win. But the Steelers' offense did struggle oh, sure. in the beginning. They did, throw, yeah, they did throw a lot of screen passes, actually, to start the game. What, do you, what were your thoughts on that when the first few drives, it seemed like they weren't really putting the ball down the field? Yeah, this is one of those things that I think really accentuates like sort of the divide between um, reporters and and fans in one group and their sort of um, like basic knowledge uh, and what coaches are trying to do. Where like to me and you, uh, it just kind of looks like oh dang, Todd Haley's just being like really passive for no reason. What's what's up? Right. Um, and I mean. As usual, you know, I think he's probably trying to set something up. Um, and I figured, you know, we would at least see Martavis Bryant downfield once in that game. It never really happened. Um, I don't know. I think it's easy to say maybe they were overcomplicating things. But um, that being said, the only way the Browns are really going to win that game 
is if they got, you know, midfield turnovers on the Steelers. And the only way they were going to get those turnovers uh, was by Ben Roethlisberger airing it out down the sideline to someone. So um, maybe it was a little cynical, uh, but in terms of, of winning a close game where the Steelers clearly weren't firing on all cylinders and, and maybe they knew that going in, I guess I don't hate it. Yeah, most definitely I agree with you on that. But overall, on the outtake of the offense, how did you think that they performed throughout the rest of the game? I know Martavis had struggled along with Le'Veon Bell. Like, Do you think they can rebound for next game? How do you believe that the offense kind of filled out towards the end of the game? Yeah, I've kind of been mulling this over a lot myself just in the past 12 hours, as you might imagine. And the thing that really strikes me is the Steelers have time on their side. Um, you know, it was it was clearly a detriment to Martavis Bryant not playing football for a year, and it was clearly a detriment to Le'Veon Bell not practicing with the team for five weeks and then getting one practice in and uh, doing what he did and didn't do. Um, but I think, you know, the way the Steelers' schedule is shaping up to, to start the year, you know, maybe they drop a game here or there. They're certainly capable of it. Um, but the Steelers have time to sort of work up to where they need to be before they start playing some of their better opponents. And uh, shoot, the Bengals don't even look good this year. So um, yeah, I think they'll be fine, but it's just going to take a minute. Honestly, I honestly, the, the Browns, I honestly, I mean, there was one game, but could the Browns honestly That's be better the than the thing. Bengals? The Browns actually look good. <laughs> the Browns, well, I don't know if the Browns are better than the Bengals, but I think just we need to, if we just isolate, the Browns' defense for a second here. The Steelers were messing up, but they were also executing or trying to execute a lot of their basic exactly um, the things that they've been running for years and years and years, and the Browns were actively preventing them. You know, it's easier for us to sit here and say, oh, well, there's high-flying Steelers' offense, you know, messed up such and such and so-and-so and in this and that situation. But, no, the Browns are good. Um, the defense is good, I should say. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to no, win yeah, more for sure. games this year. <laughs> But um, that unit is, is really leading the way for them. And I think, you know, <laughs> one of my friends was joking about this on Twitter. He said, oh, the Browns just better hurry up uh, and hope they finish this rebuild before the CBA expires and there's no more NFL. <laughs> <laughs> Man, especially with the, when Miles Garrett comes back, too, because watching him in the preseason, he was actually an absolute monster. So the Browns' defense does have a lot of potential, it looks like. Yeah, I was talking with Alejandro Villanueva about that after the game, and he was like, you know, there's only so much you can tell from one game. They've been getting better for a while, uh, you know, at least in his time here. Um, but he was also quick to point out, like, shoot, you know, they didn't even have Miles Garrett today. I wasn't even blocking him. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I know Villanueva a lot at least one sack. So, um, yeah, there's more firepower to come for the Browns. And, again, they've got all these draft picks piled up, so there is no end in sight. Right, and the Steelers didn't run too much. They didn't allow – they might have only allowed one sack. I'm not sure. You can correct me on that if they allowed more than that. I'm not totally sure. But how do you think the line – because the line sort of – every time Le'Veon got the ball, even though it was about ten times, he wasn't really getting much. It didn't really look like he had the pep in his step that he had before. But, like, it seemed like the line wasn't getting much push there. What did you think from them? So, I actually, I actually wrote about this uh, in, in some length where Mike Tomlin said – it was the first question on the press conference. Like, hey, Le'Veon looked out of sync. What'd you think? Uh, and he yeah. you know, was kind of down the sort of uh, absence from training camp line of, of questioning and said, you know, write the story of of how far the Steelers were in terms of 
you know, getting a fir- how far away the Steelers were from getting a first down in each of those situations because uh, they were backed up with penalties, especially early on. So I actually I looked at it, and Mike Tom was mostly right. So Le'Veon Bell carried the ball ten times yesterday. Ten, ten times, yeah. A couple called back from penalties. He got 32 yards. Yeah. Five of them, the Steelers had, you know, were 10 yards to go to a first down or more. Um, two of them were 15 and, and 21 yards, respectively. Um, and on those on those five carries, he got six yards. So that's half of his carries, right? Now you can right. look at that and say, oh, wow, okay. Well, then he got, what, 5.2 yards per carry on the other half of his carries, Le'Veon Bell's back. That's not true either um, because he got 22 of those uh, of those 26 other yards on two carries in garbage time um, when, you know, the Browns really had to try and take away, well, everything and couldn't. Um, the field was spread. You know, his other three carries, uh, you know, he got four yards. So that's not good either. And those weren't, you know, long-yarded situations. He just got stopped. So, sure, some credit, again, to the Browns. But Le'Veon Bell is not 100% of where Le'Veon Bell should be. And I think it's impossible to not point to his not being with the team uh, as being a factor in that. I definitely agree with that as well. But do you? Th- I know Tomlin obviously wouldn't say anything about this, but do you think – the, the 10 carries that he only got was a punishment? Because I think that, honestly, to get him into sync, they're going to have to give him more carries. I no. Rough you, sure, no. If you're going to play him, though, you're not going to punish yourself over it. Um, and I exactly. play him because you're not punishing yourself I hope in not. the first place. <laughs> um, no, I mean, look, Mike Tomlin gets paid for winning games, and, um, you know, he's not going to cut off his nose to spite his face or, or any other part of his body for that matter. Um, just because his, his running back was a little bit petulant. And I actually asked him, Mike Tomlin, uh, in his last three, I don't know, I go Tuesday, um, hey, you know, you, you alluded to consequences for Le'Veon Bell uh, when he did return uh, back at the start of training camp. You know, was that a punitive thing? And he was like, no, the consequences are, you know, how prepared he's going to be and how prepared we are with him integrated or not. Those are the consequences. Those are the fallout. He wasn't, you know, trying to slap his running back on the wrist or anything like that or, or punish him even more severely. It was just a matter of, look, this is a big part of our team, uh, and he's not here. That's not good. Uh, and it wasn't good on Sunday. Well, don't you think – I believe there's no punishment, obviously, but don't you think that to kind of get get the rust off and to kind of get back where he's been at, don't you think they should, get, they should have gave him more carries than just 10? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I do buy some of the argument that the Browns did take the Steelers out of the running game. Uh, I also think they could have given them the ball more. Um, you know, again, when you get backed up and you're not running well from backed up uh, down in distances, that's the, the other side of the coin is, well, they run more on, on third and 21 or something, and, you know, maybe you get seven yards, but you still got a punt. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they could, have, they could have gotten him involved more, and they tried to do so in the screen game. Um, or, you know, at least in little check downs, that didn't work either. And that's, that's honestly where I think the rust showed more than anything was um, whether it be with him or Ben Roethlisberger uh, or both in that, you know, they were always off by about a step. Uh, and those plays have been explosive for the Steelers, uh, especially last year where, you know, the Steelers would be in trouble, the pocket would collapse, Ben Roethlisberger would think a little pass to, to Le'Veon and he'd run for 17 yards through the flat or something like that. <laughs> That was the element of their offense that I think would have sort of taken them from 
proverbial first to third gear yesterday, and instead they were kind of just stuck in first all day until they started just slinging passes to Antonio Brown until, and they just let him do what he does and yeah. call it a day. Um, so, so I I hear you, but you know, one of the other things they tried that I thought was interesting was they did roll out that I formation we saw a lot in training camp, and they put James Conner in it. Uh, I talked to yeah. Connor after the game, yeah. and I said, you know, was that situational? Was that a matter of Le'Veon getting tired, the team being backed up? Because in the first drive, they were, I think, on their own, like, six-yard line or something like that. And James Conner came out, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, he said, no, it was just Mike Tomlin wanted to see him, and he sent him out there, and, and so he went. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. I, I think if, if Le'Veon does get back to 100%, there won't be much room for James Conner in this offense. Um, but I am I am intrigued by how much I formation they ran both in this preseason uh, and even just in the in the season opener. Yeah, and I, the only thing I was really kind of confused about a little bit is you're up 21 to 10 in the fourth quarter, and I thought I thought then maybe Le'Veon would get more touches than he did, but obviously mm-hmm. they were still I mean they were still working with the pass as well. But then of course Le'Veon did go to Twitter like he always does all the time and had a response to a lot like D'Angelo Williams and all the fans out there, all the haters, I guess, even his brother went out there. It's classic Le'Veon. <laughs> what, did his, what did his brother say? Oh, his, his brother said something like, because I, I follow his brother on there, like mean, Levante Bell, and he said something yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said something about like, oh, I see you guys hating again on Le'Veon. He's like, I'm putting names down this time. <laughs> Those guys just keep going, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Some people get into some sort of like social media moralizing, and I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I seem to be having fun, and it's actually a conversation. I no, had so, yeah. some length with, with D'Angelo Williams while he was here, but that's a kind of tangential. I honestly, it doesn't really bother me. I, I know, I for some reason, I feel like sometimes it bothers like older fans. Like when Bell went with the rap thing, that was really not even a big deal at all. I don't know why people it, are like, it pisses seriously? off old crusty white dudes like. <laughs> so many manner of things and that's kind of where you get at a certain point in sports journalism it's unfortunate um but yeah i mean that's that's the long and short of it <laughs> yeah for sure but anyway like getting back into the Steeler browns game so the, the defense I, up front i liked it a lot tj and then of tj watt with the linebackers kind of played up but up front the steelers they looked pretty dominant up front they had seven sacks which was pretty crazy they didn't do that for five weeks last year but how do you think oh. all in all the defense did? And then, of course, the secondary is Hayden got beat a couple times as well. Yeah, okay. So we'll start with the good here. Um, eat your vegetables later. I was really <laughs> impressed by the defensive front. Uh, and I mean the whole front seven. Um, even after Stephon Tewitt went out and he was excellent in that one series he did play, uh, I thought L.C. Walton looked good. I thought Tyson Alawalu got some penetration. I mean, obviously Cam Hayward got to the quarterback. And Anthony Ciccolo and T.J. Watt looked quick because they are. Um, and Ryan Chaser was everywhere. Vince Williams, I think, was fine stopping the run. You know, the, the Browns didn't really get anything through the middle. They were running pretty much everything off tackle, from what I remember. Um, so the front seven was fine. The secondary is just like a big to-be-determined for me. I think Joe Hayden, somewhat similarly to Le'Veon, is going to have to play himself back into full health, and that's not because he wasn't practicing. It's not because he wasn't even with the Steelers for, you know, most of the preseason. Um, 
it's because he's recovering from groin injuries. So what we're about to find out is, has he lost his speed forever? Um, is he going to keep getting beat by a step or so by really promising but currently marginal Browns receivers? Or is he going to be able to mirror uh, Artie Burns as, as sort of what the Steelers hope is a shutdown cover guy? I mean, they had Burns follow Antonio Brown's role of training camp early and, and with that in mind. If they have two of those, then we're looking at a truly formidable Steelers defense. If there's a weak link, though, uh, everything else can start to crumble, and you're a Ryan Chaser injury away from having um, a really ugly situation on your hands if you're the Steelers. So, um, yeah, Joe Hayden's the biggest question mark for me. Uh, and also hoping we find out what's up with Mike Hilton, because it wasn't clear to me if he left due to injury or if the Steelers just thought William Gay was going to play better. And William Gay did play pretty well yesterday. Right, yeah. Yeah, what did you think on that hit on William Gay? Yeah, I, I honestly, not just saying because I'm a fan, but I honestly didn't believe it to be too dirty. It seems like every time the NFL you hit somebody so hard, it's a flag. So, um, I thought it. I mean, it was it was just a quick play. Like I, there was no target. Yeah, just, just happened. I couldn't really tell with um, the helmet. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell if it was, it was helmet or shoulder pad. You know, usually it's some of both. Um, but I didn't. I mean. I think – I'll put it to you this way. I think the NFL has to make that call. Like, I think you have to throw the flag there um, just to try and enforce the habit. You know, Mike Mitchell has talked about this. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, um, you know, for years there – was, there was a transition a couple of years for him as a safety where you would get caught going high um, because, uh, you know, guys would duck down or that's just, you know, how you've been playing your whole life. And then you go lower and then you run the risk of hitting guys in the knee um, so your target zone is smaller, but the point is that you do eventually adapt. You get penalized, uh, and and you clean up your play. And Mike Mitchell made this case, I think, after taking a penalty last year, uh, but it was his first in several years, as he pointed out, and uh, of that of that order anyway. And he was right. Um, you know, so I think the NFL does have to throw those flags on those bang bang plays to just sort of try and retool guys' instincts. It's always going to be tough for guys late in their careers, um, and, and William Gay is probably a better tackler than he gets credit for. Um, so I don't have a problem with the play, but I don't have a problem with the flag either. Um, the J.J. Wilcox one is textbook. Like, he brought his head down, went helmet to helmet, knocked himself out, right. which is really the, the underlying <laughs> danger of these things is not only are you putting fellow players at risk, you're putting yourself at risk. Putting yourself, um, Apparently right. he was evaluated for concussion and cleared because he was available to the media um, after the game. So... Um, but that was that was horrifying. I mean, I saw those replays. He was out before he hit the ground. Clearly. Oh yeah, he went. Uh, he wasn't even moving as soon as he went down. But have you? You just kind of got into that. Have you heard anything on him? Is he, should he be okay, or what have you heard so far? I mean, he cleared concussion protocol, so um, or or he's not in it. So, um, as as that's that's all I know. That's um, that's good news. All right. Well, that's good news. Yeah, especially since it looks like he's. Rotating in with Mike Mitchell. Mike Mitchell said after the game, yeah. it's fine. Uh, you know, I asked him if he was, you know, because he did that soft tissue injury at the start of camp. Uh, he said it's in his leg. I'm pretty sure it's a hamstring. Um, and that's that can be nagging, especially as a defensive back. And I think it will be nagging for him. But um, he said he's fine. But he did take himself out of the game repeatedly for J.J. Wilcox. So um, I saw, I think it was, uh, one of those Monday morning quarterback guys sort of analyzed slash speculated that by the end of the year, Mike Mitchell and Sean Davis would switch positions. 
Um, in a lot of sets, it's kind of immaterial, but that would be interesting. Oh, yeah, definitely, kind of, for sure. But, thought, hmm? Keep go going? Ahead. No, you got to keep yeah. going with your thing. Uh, I, just, I don't know how much about Mike Mitchell, like, up in the line of scrimmage or getting caught into, you know, teams motioning into a position where he has to cover a guy downfield. But um, well, we don't know how fast Mike Mitchell is. Right, yeah. So, but anyway, sticking with the defense as well, so kind of going away from the secondary with the linebackers. Yeah, sure. I just want to ask quick about – about Dupree, have you heard much on Dupree? Do you think he should be good for next week? Here's the problem with Dupree. He's very forthcoming about what his injuries are, but he's always wildly more optimistic about how healthy he's going to be and when uh, than the team <laughs> doctors typically are, which you'd expect of a player, uh, but he, he takes it to, uh, I wouldn't say a newfound extreme, but, but an extreme nonetheless. Uh, yeah, this one's tricky, right, because he's listed on the injury report with a shoulder, um, but he also said it's an injury that he was struggling with during training camp. And the injury that kept him out during training camp, he said at the time anyway, was an ankle injury, an ankle sprain, I believe. Uh, so he can play through an ankle sprain. It's a lot harder to play through a shoulder thing. And I, I don't know if it's structural or muscular or bone. I mean, I don't know the nature of the injury. Um I just you know he was listed as a shoulder injury, and it was bad enough to keep him out of the season opener. But he said on Thursday he thought he was going to play him. So, um, hey, good news for the Steelers is Anthony Trickler looks pretty competent. Um, so they're they're good for now. But I don't know, man. That's a tricky one. And there was a while in that game where the Steelers being shorthanded with Mike Mitchell varyingly healthy and Bud Dupree not on the field at all that um, – to wonder like what the start of this season was going to look like for that unit, um, but then things got cleaned up and Dupree was on the sidelines, so like, I don't think it'd be too serious. But and that's that that's the biggest question mark floating over this team right now for me is what's Bud Dupree's house going to look like? Right, and I did see your article too as well about uh, as you were talking about the players whose stock rose, including Anthony Chicolo. So if Bud Dupree does play, do you still believe we see a lot of Chicolo since he did so well against Cleveland? I think if Bud Dupree, I think initially you'd probably have him sort of sprinkled in, but the the end game for the Steelers is to have two dominant outside linebackers playing pretty much the whole time. You know, James Harrison, Arthur Most, I think maybe got a series uh, yesterday, but but Mike Tomlin made it clear last year that this whole the the era of the the four or five man outside linebacker rotation was over by his preference. And when the Steelers drafted T.J. Watt this year, I said, you know, has that changed? He said it absolutely has not. Joey Porter told the Post-Gazette during training camp that he wants there to be two outside linebackers, Bud Dupree and, and T.J. Watt. Um, so, you know, Chicolo's kind of just playing for uh, playing for Drew Rosenhaus' negotiating ability yeah. at this point. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great for the Steelers that Chicolo's playing as well as he is. It does give them options. Um, I did see one kind of weird set where it looked like the Steelers had they had a weird goal line set where ah uh, never mind they, they inverted the inside linebackers. It wasn't three outside linebackers, but <laughs> the point is having options having options certainly helps them. And, and Anthony Chicolo is a very good one. Definitely for sure, they do have pretty they have a lot of depth there with the linebackers. Were you but were you surprised right. that Harrison pretty much only saw a series? 
Um, I was surprised on Monday or Tuesday. I guess it was Tuesday when the Steelers released their depth chart and Mike Tomlin was unequivocal on the fact that, that T.J. Watt was the starter. Um, because from the moment they drafted Watt and, and from the moment he started, you know, all the way through OTAs and mini camp and training camp when he was getting all those reps and Harrison was being arrested, I said, you know, to myself, like, I'll believe that Harris is not the guy in week one when it happens. And because, I mean, shoot, they've tried to replace him for years and they just haven't been able to. Uh, but clearly T.J. Watt is more promising on a prospect than Jarvis Jones uh, was and is. And uh, so, I mean, once once game day came around, I had already sort of processed the shock. But, yeah, on the whole, I mean, it, it is surprising. Um there, I'm sure there are holes in T.J. Watt's game that will be exposed as, as the season rolls on. You know, there's some things that I've seen Harrison do in practice where he'll kind of, like, to, to an outside viewer, it'll almost seem passive in the way that he'll control a tackle and then read if a pass or a run is coming and then adjust accordingly in a pretty swift movement. Uh, I don't know if T.J. Watt quite has that down yet. Um, he did do very well against Joe Thomas uh, yesterday, but, um, but that's a good sign. But he, I, yeah, I mean he's he's an All Pro and, and future Hall of Famer, arguably first ballot. Um, but I think there's room for Harrison. Uh, I just I don't I don't know exactly what those weaknesses are going to be, but inevitably T.J. Watt is going to get exposed at some point. Um, but the thing that Watt really has going for him over Harrison at this point is that. There's really no – there's much less of a risk in terms of dropping him into coverage. You know, a couple of times Watt had to follow a guy motioning out to the slot, and he seemed comfortable doing so, or he dropped um, in his own coverage. That's where he got the interception the other day. That's not Harrison's strength at all. Um, it's no outside linebacker's true preference, but it's, it's much less of a – at least immediate weakness for Watt than it is for Harrison. Yeah, Watt, he's really uh, – He's a monster. He's a, he's a stud, man. <laughs> it's it's the most promise, most immediately shown of, of a Steelers first-round pick uh, that I can recall in recent years. It showed more than Jarvis sure. Jones. <laughs> yeah. Man, Jarvis had like a few good weeks in what, 2014? I know. <laughs> and then he did his wrist. Yeah. And now, I think the Cardinals caught him, didn't they? Yeah, they caught him. Yeah, I did see that too. Yeah. That sucks, man. He, he, had, man. I, he I thought he really had a chance too. Yeah, it's just tough when you're like a little undersized and a little slow. There's not there's not really anywhere else for you to to go. Uh, really nice guy though. Tell what it's worth. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, all in all, Steelers did get 21-18 wins, so that's pretty much all that matters. They won. Doesn't really matter how they did it, and they won on the road against the division opponent, so that's always good. Do you expect going into the Minnesota? In Minnesota, I mean, obviously, they haven't played yet, and obviously, we haven't practiced really all week yet, but do you expect the offense to do a lot of things? Do you think a lot of things different? Do you think Bell may get the ball a lot more, especially because Minnesota does have a good secondary? I do think Bell will get the ball more. Um, I do think the Steelers will also take more shots downfield, uh, even as counterintuitive as that may seem with the the Vikings secondary being as strong as it is. Um, You know, the, the, I think the idea is you establish the short game, whether that be through the run or the screen passes, you know, to Martavis Bryant, who, and this is the, this is the thing that makes Martavis Bryant so much more dangerous and 
you know, most any receiver in the league is that, yeah, he's one of the most potent downfield targets. He's big and he's tall and he's strong. Um, but he has that short space agility and strength in that short space that, that really no other receiver of his size, I would say, does. Um, so I think the Steelers will try to establish that again. But I do think they'll be a little more aggressive downfield. Uh, I do think, you know, you will see some sort of Montavis Bryant and Roethlisberger link up and um, and and just like a, a more overall put-together Steelers offense. Um, there's a huge benefit, I think, especially for Le'Veon Bell uh, in going through the process of having played a game, cutting up the film, uh, and and deciding, you know, what could have been done better. Uh, I think the same will be true for the offensive line and, and the offense as a whole, um, but especially with Le'Veon, I think that's going to be really potent. And, um, you know, say what you will about how this contract situation was handled on both sides. <laughs> both sides. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's, a, he's a guy who, who studies. He, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt from his, from his teammates that he is a, a very smart and studious player. And having the benefit of just not just getting hit, but having looked at those hits uh, and what went wrong, I think that'll just that'll be of exponential benefit to the Steelers this Sunday. Yeah, and like you said about Bryant, too, he's, he's not he's not a really with the stat line show. He's not a two catch, fourteen yard guy. So they definitely, I feel like they'll get him more involved. No, next week. But the thing is, sorry, I, I don't mean to cut. I didn't mean to cut you. Off, no, but, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so my Bryant Bryant well, caught two passes from six targets. Cause like two or three of those were dropped. Couple I, dropped. I think yeah. the interception was. Interception was a nice play by the, it was, by it the was corner. It was and went over, but yeah. I'm sure words were had. Uh, because that's <laughs> how it works. Ben is your quarterback. But, yeah. uh, but I, I – fans are going to miss this. The fact that Martavis Bryant was on the field is what allowed the Steelers to just skip second gear and go straight into third by dumping the ball to Antonio Brown on crossing routes because the middle of the field was so open because, again, Martavis Bryant's presence on the field opposite Antonio Brown, who just did switch up the splits, um, forces teams to play two deep safeties. I think Brown said after the game he was, he was spotting them 20 yards uh, off the line of scrimmage. If you don't have that, you don't have Jesse James making the plays that he did, not even just the touchdowns, but the, the plays that he did uh, you know, in the middle of the field. You don't have Antonio Brown, you know, gashing the Browns for as many yards as they did. The Steelers' offense maybe doesn't kick into gear at all. And the fact of the matter is that Justin Hunter or Sammy Coates or Darius Hayward Bay, they don't command the same respect that Martavis Bryant simply putting on a uniform and walking onto a football field did for the Steelers on Sunday. Right. That is actually is a good point to look at for people that are out there and, and wondering why Martavis didn't get his many, many deep balls. I, 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 now I understand that now as it opens up Antonio Brown a lot, so it's good analysis. <laughs> it definitely helps more if they actually go out and, you know, hit him for one. But, um, oh, yeah, sudden, definitely. They uh, tried one, but it, I think it was a little bit overthrown. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't overthrow passes. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> No, but anyway, uh, before just a couple things before we let you go. Anyway, it was great having you on the show. But anyway, were you surprised that we didn't? I mean, I guess not if you were there that long that we didn't see 
as much as Vance McDonald. I know he just had a holding penalty and a drop, so it wasn't, didn't really help his case at all. But I know Jesse <laughs> James did well, but we're surprised about Vance. Um, a little bit, but then when I, you know, give it the sort of like half hour rule check, I'm like, well, he's only been here a week and, you know, he, the problem with him in San Francisco is he dropped the ball. The problem with him in practice, uh, or not practice, but the game was that he dropped the ball. The Steelers really didn't have a lot of room for multi-tight end sets, uh, especially when they were running as much four wide receivers, they were trying to open the field up the way that they were. Uh, I mean, shoot, if you want another guy to block, just bring on Rosie Nix, and they did. So uh, it was a little bit surprising, and I still think there will be a push to get him more involved. I mean, the team made an investment, right? Um, mm-hmm. But if the Steelers at this point you know, are going to run with just one tight end, I think it's only going to be Jesse James, and it's going to stay that way for a while. Do you think Vance McDonald probably has potential to be a better blocking option? And if he can integrate himself, you know, as a as a you know very basic pass catching option in the way that Jesse James was yesterday, then sure he has a chance to, to cut into his minutes and and um, and sort of take that job. But hey, man, for the time being, Jesse James did everything you, you could ask of him to ensure that if the Steelers are in one tight end set, it's going to be Jesse James. Now. I do think there's a really, really good potential for the Steelers to run some three tight end stuff with Vance, McDonald, uh, and Jesse James, and Javier Grimble. Um, but that's going to be really dependent on the Steelers establishing the run. That was something Jesse James said the Steelers had planned for the Browns, but the run game sputtered, uh, and they just didn't get to it. Yeah, I totally, I definitely agree with that one as well, especially since J- Jesse James, he did, he did play pretty well, and I expect him to hopefully keep up the consistent play. I know like some, some games last year that they kind of go away from him, but I think he really does help the Steelers. But before I let you go, I know it's, sure. I know it's a long way away and it's, it's uh, kind of too soon to tell. And it's been the talk of the off season. Do you think, do you think Le'Veon's going to get the money? Uh, What do you mean? Do, do I think he's going to get a multi-year deal next year? No. Okay. Well, I'm not from the Steelers. Yeah. Not, not, not the first. So maybe you could tag again. I don't know. So, uh, so are you asking if you're going to get like a multi-year deal in the in the multi-year deal from Pittsburgh? Yeah, from Pittsburgh. Uh, I mean, at this point, they could just franchise tag him, and there's no incentive to do anything other than that. You know, the initial uh, rap demand was for 15 million. Uh, a year, and then it's it's escalated 17. in the past couple of weeks to 17. Um, I don't think they're gonna pay him that next year. Uh, I think there's there's so little practical incentive for either side for either side to do anything other other than force each other to settle on a franchise tag. Uh, to settle on a franchise tag. I mean, when I didn't think that Bell was gonna stay away from training camp or preseason as long as he did, but when the initial deadline passed and uh, you know, it came out that the steel that Bell didn't agree to what the Steelers offered thirty million in the first two years and, and the Steelers obviously didn't agree to what the what Bell and his camp wanted. Um, it didn't really surprise me because look, he's making more money than he's ever made in his career on this twelve million dollar base salary that he's now guaranteed. You know, he could 
tears ACL next week, he's still going to get that twelve million. So mm-hmm. um, unless they're paying him top, 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 almost unprecedented money, then you know there, there wasn't a huge reason to sort of just meet in the middle. Um, so no, I mean, what's the number for next year is like fourteen point two or something like that. Yeah, yeah I believe so. Sign him up. And here's the other thing. I don't know how much you want to get into this uh, or how much you have time to. The Steelers have oh, done yeah. a pretty good job of, of playing this publicly as a, you know, this is what the market for running backs is. Um, and, and sort of the, the narrative is that Le'Veon wants to be uh, paid like a wide receiver, or a top running back plus in a second you know, wide, receiver. wide receiver, which in yeah. practice he is. Putting aside those two sort of, you know, corrupt notions, uh, not that there's some truth in them, they're just, you know, cynical. Uh, is Le'Veon Bell not the most, you know, valuable part of this offense, I guess, other than Ben Roethlisberger? Obviously, everything needs a quarterback. But I just yeah, no, definitely, you know, for sure. <laughs> I don't, you know, the Steelers aren't in the AFC Championship game last year without Antonio Brown either. But Le'Veon Bell dragged them through the stretch of that season, uh, all oh. too literally at times, and then, you know, especially so in the playoffs. He had record-breaking playoff performances. So, you know, I, I'm i starting to view it more as – I don't think the Steelers wanted to pay him 15 or $17 million, you know, regardless. But I'm starting to view it more as, look, the Steelers knew they had to get business done elsewhere – uh, in the team this year, he saw that with the Stefan Taylor deal, um, they did it, and they couldn't pay Le'Veon the 17 that he wanted because they were going to put that money elsewhere. Um, now they could have pinched some things and not made some other moves, and that's what could have happened, like just doing the numbers. Um, but I don't, I don't think the two sides are as far away from each other as, as we are inclined to believe. Um, but I do think the negotiations kind of reset to a certain extent next March um, or February when when they have to do this whole thing again. Um, obviously, much yeah. You think the process is going to go over? What's that? You think you think the process is going to go over again? Same exact thing next year. Well, I just missing I camp everything. Back up. No, I mean, uh, look if they tag him, they tag him, right? And it's probably. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't even look that far. I'm just saying that when they restart these negotiations, they're not just going to pick up where they left off. I think the Steelers should come back and say, you know, hey, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, you're a running back. You've got this many carries on your body. You've had this many injuries. You've missed this many games. The running back pocket is what it is. And the agents are balanced well. He did. And like, oh, now I can say, well, no one else does it like he does it. And then they go from there. Um, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, they started the last contract offer uh, that was put out this season at the end of, of this negotiation and, and, and go from there. I think the Steelers probably do a little bit of a reset. But um, I really don't know. And again, of course, so much of this depends on what Le'Veon Bell does this year. And what the Steelers do this year, and what Ben Roethlisberger does between now and when those negotiations go back up. Yeah, with Roethlisberger, that's the question mark. We don't know when he's really going to retire. Do you do you think that? Do you think that they they go for another quarterback in the draft next year? Or do you think they're just going to kind of rely yeah. with oh. the Dobbs Landry thing? Oh no 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 no! I thought early, early um, and often in the draft. Early, you think? 
Yeah. I think Dobbs is ahead, right? So I think they felt they needed to adjust the quarterback position and they could they could get a jump on it by getting, you know, a mid-round guy. Um, and they did. And he's got some upside. He's, you know, he does some things that are interesting. He went on a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's as needs to transform as much as the traditional narrative would would uh, would put out there in terms of uh, he's just kind of quarterback. That being said, he has he has missed a lot of throws. Um, I I think I think Dobbs set them up to to give themselves an option. You know, they signed Landry to what a two three year deal where three year deal or two know, or three, three yeah. year deal. I think it's three, and you know yeah, yeah. it's paid a little a little more than the minimum plus a nice little signing bonus to be just like a transitional cover piece. I think next year you're looking at a deeper quarterback class. You're looking at the Steelers. They're going to be in the same draft position they are pretty much everywhere, somewhere between 20 and 32, yeah. right? And they, I think that's the year they make their move. Um, they, the Steelers were close enough with other positions this year where with TJ Watts already making a difference for this team. Juju Smith-Schuster can be a piece for them. They thought Cameron Sutton, James Conner could be pieces for them as well, and Cameron Sutton may still be, James Conner may still be. Uh, you don't really need to take a quarterback any sooner than that once you know that you've got Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Jones. Next year, especially if Ben Roethlisberger is well and truly out. And even First if round, not, you think? You do. Sure. Why not? I mean, again, so much of this depends on what happens in the next 20 weeks. Yeah. And then the few weeks after that, when Ben Roethlisberger says, you know, I'm in or I'm out, and we are going to do the are you in or are you out thing every single year until he finally does retire. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, if if you're losing your franchise quarterback, you have to try and replace him with a franchise quarterback. The Steelers don't have a franchise quarterback. And you're sure as heck not going to trade for one. I mean – I, who's out there? You pick up Tom Savage? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's not not much out there, so it kind of makes sense why the Browns are always struggling every year. <laughs> yeah. And, and now that you've got me going and fired, oh, I think Kaiser could be something for them. Um, but now that you've yeah. got me going and fired up, like there's there's all this acrimony every time a new quarterback signs a contract and becomes the highest paid quarterback in the league. Look. Every latest quarterback that's a franchise quarterback, top 12 guy, they're going to be they're gonna have the to highest be. <laughs> paid quarterback in the league. This this arrow doesn't go back down. So, yes, Matt Stafford's worth it. You know, Matt Ryan's worth it. Whoever else is next, Kirk Cousins, when he finally gets off these franchise tags, is going to be worth it. You can't. There's like 12 to 16 guys on earth who can do this thing, and you need one of them to win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, we're going to see a lot of $30 million average salaries soon. And I don't know. Someone's going to have to get that themselves. Do you, do you see – I mean, I know I've been saying before I let you go, but I did read that one thing. It was, it, was def, it was definitely in the off season, but obviously this situation I wouldn't see happening. But could you ever see – I know Kirk Cousins is kind of in that same thing with Bell, franchise uh, tag, somehow huh. he would end up on Pittsburgh. That's funny. Uh, wait, so this is this is Cousins last year on the tag, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I, don't know. I, saw, I saw, oh, they should trade Bell for Cousins. I don't see that happening. But you think, like, That's if dumb. Ben goes, he goes next year. <laughs> but – um, I kind of, that's intriguing. 
man, I don't think so. I, it's just easier for me to say no, but it, it's a, it's a fun little theory. Like for people just like sort of water cooler bullshit, that's fun. I, I just don't think so. I mean, it would have to be this year, right? Like Ben Roethlisberger would have to make it super clear. Right. You'd have to be hey, done this year. I'm yeah. done. As of January, February, like I'm out. Um, and the Steelers would have to look at the situation and say, well, we could still get a Super Bowl or two out of this, this current group with that uh, if we have yeah. <laughs> Um But they'd have to move a lot of money around. Exactly. And probably yeah. recoup some of the signing bonus from Roethlisberger, and they don't usually come after that. Uh, yeah, I'm still going to say no on that. But um, it would be it would be nice though. Oh sure, no, it's super fun if you're a Steelers fan to think about. But no, I, I'd see the more likely option being being uh, them them drafting. So, um, God, that would drive off a burger nuts, right? If he retired and they brought in Cousins yeah. and then they take it back another <laughs> Super Bowl out of it. Huh. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I mean, it, it would be it'd, be it'd be a lot I, quicker than drafting one. <laughs> It would, it would, um, especially the defense is really rolling. Like I think it will be for a few years now. What is intriguing though is, and this is again, this is like still like we're trafficking in, in fan theory here. Um, yeah. And I am not a fan. I've told players this repeatedly. Like, look, I don't care if y'all win the Super Bowl to go on sixteen. I still right. care every. So. Um, yeah. But good job. <laughs> but yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but. But someone was sort of floating the notion that the the Steelers are kind of almost scheduling a rebuild for like circa 2019, piling up some draft picks and things like that. Um, that's a little <laughs> anecdotal for my liking to, to get behind it. Yeah, this is the thing that's happening. I should go write an article about it. Um, yeah. But, you know, by then, Antonio Brown will be out of his prime. Uh, ben Roethlisberger probably won't be playing anymore. Um, and, and Le'Veon Bell... I would would think it would be beyond his prime years. So uh, offensively, he could say a little bit, but his defense is equipped to be a force for the next like five years. So I don't I don't totally buy into that. But it is fun. Yeah, it's a good thing to think about for the future, I guess. But it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the week to week stuff. Oh, yeah, there's fun, a bit. But the the decade to decade things are interesting too. Yeah, for sure, definitely. But anyway, Jacob, we'll keep following you throughout the week and obviously throughout the season to get ready for this Vikings game. And again, thank you for taking a good amount of time today on our show. We really appreciate that. And before we let you go, if you want to let people out there where know where you, they can find your work, they can find you on Twitter, anything you want to send out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jacob, that's J-A-C-O-B underscore Klinger. That's K-L-I-N-G-E-R underscore uh, and you can also find a lot of our work and some other content from just around the Steelers beat on our Facebook page. It's uh, If you go to Facebook and search Pittsburgh Steelers on PennLive.com, that's PennLive, two ends like the state of Pennsylvania that I and I'm sure some of you live in, uh, you will find it. <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers on PennLive.com. Uh, got a lot of stuff there, some live video, really just some bonus analysis and things and thoughts and stickers and uh, things that you'll probably enjoy looking at and clicking on. Uh, if you do go to Pittsburgh Steelers on com on Facebook and follow us there. For sure. Well, thanks again, Jacob, for taking the good amount of time for us. We really appreciate it and hope to have you on soon later in the season. Hey, I'll be around. Thanks for having me. 
<laughs> Have a good one. That was Jacob Klinger of PenLive.com. We we really only we only expected out of him just maybe ten minutes, but we got a lot out of Jacob. It started off from Steelers Browns, but really jumped into a lot <laughs> after we talked about Le'Veon Bell and his future. We kind of talked about the whole Steelers future. So that we we got a lot out of Jacob. We really appreciate everything that he came on and talked about. And they, I really like the fact that he told us about what the players were saying inside the locker room. So that we really appreciate that because it's good to hear and it's good for the fans to hear like what the players are actually thinking and what what they believe for the team to be. So, I mean, we'll, it's going to all depend on next week and the Vikings next week. So it'll be a Heinz Field home opener. I'll be there. I don't know if we'll be tweeting live. We're, I'll, I'll let you guys know on Twitter if we'll be tweeting the game live. If not, we'll, I'll find something to get all live updates out to you guys. And, again, you can follow us on Twitter, like always, at Steeler Nation, and then on Instagram, at SteelerNation.com. We've got many giveaways coming soon. We may have an episode – well, we will have an episode Friday. We have just an, We just figured out that Mondays and Fridays will be show days, official show days. Mondays will obviously be after the game unless it's a Monday night game, and then it will be Tuesday. And then Fridays will be for the pregame. So we'll definitely have a lot of guests, more like Jacob in the future, and players. we got a lot of players coming on the show soon, so stay tuned for that. We'll be tweeting it out, and we may have a show during the week this week, so be sure to stay tuned on our Twitter at Steeler Nation. And again, you've been listening to the Steeler Nation podcast brought to you by SteelerNation.com. I'm your host, Tyler Candelaria. Have a good one, everyone. Candy cane, drop the top, pop it.